CC Growth Journeys from Emerging Ecosystems to Global Markets. The founders believe in our mission. They're helping us. You're thinking about how we're helping them, but they're helping us just as much, right? They believe in what we're trying to do. And realize also that, like, we raised our fund from 82 individuals, most of whom are immigrant entrepreneurs who sold their companies. So, like, we are, it's not just the, it's not just the management, right? It's the investors as well. The whole thing is for immigrants by immigrants. That was Semyon, who started One Way Ventures, a VC fund that is funded by and managed by immigrants and invests in immigrant entrepreneurs. Prior to starting OneWay, he was the managing director of Techstars Boston and has done more than 200 investments throughout his career. He came to the US as an immigrant from Russia and later joined the MIT Blackjack team, where they made millions of dollars from casinos worldwide. In this episode, we'll talk about the unfair advantages of immigrant entrepreneurs and the arbitrage opportunity in investing in them. Semyon is dedicated to level the playing field for immigrant entrepreneurs. Let's hear how. Hey, Semyon, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Where are you right now? I'm at home in Boston. Boston, nice. I hope it's getting better over there because, I mean, the city wasn't doing that well, I guess, over the past month. A lot of virus here, but I'm doing fine anyway. Ah, perfect. That's good to hear. Um, in this short session, what I want to talk about is we can delve a bit into your background, um, starting, of course, with the MIT Blackjack team, then to your angel investing experience, then Techstars, and then to One Way Ventures. Um, can you please, first of all, tell us a bit about your background prior to One Way Ventures? Yeah, I'm from Moscow, Russia, and I came over to the United States with my parents as refugees in 1979. Grew up in Houston, went to school at Columbia, did some work in computer science quite early at IBM Research, working in virtual worlds, and then based on that work, got into MIT for graduate school. To work on internet payment protocols. Nice. And there's a nice story with you and the MIT Blackjack team. I mean, when you search your name online, that's all you see. Um, can you please tell us what happened there? Well, hopefully by now you see a little bit more than that. But it was a pretty cool story. Uh, I met these guys who were already beating the casinos at Blackjack. At the time I was at MIT in 1991, 92 mm -hmm. timeframe, and uh, I learned how to do it, played a little bit, then I helped organize my own group, and we ended up winning a few million dollars from casinos all over the world by playing blackjack. Is it only a few million dollars? I heard more. It was only a few million dollars. It was about five million dollars that we won over a three or four year period with several dozen people involved. Nice, nice. So when it comes down to it, you know, per person, it was not gigantic money, but it was cool because we were doing something that supposed to be impossible and yet we actually succeeded right uh, we simulated stuff on computers and trusted our numbers and it works as we expected which was neat amazing and then you ran a bunch of companies like um got a flirt accurev smtp.com pdf filler um, before you became an angel investor how did that all whole entrepreneurial experience shape your angel investing well the only company i really built uh, as an entrepreneur from the ground up was fast engines mm -hmm. some of these got a flirt was a failed startup i did try to do with some co-founders but the other ones were primarily investments where i got a little bit more involved than typical investment had a board role but they weren't companies that i personally built mm -hmm. i would say in my case yeah my entrepreneurial experience of course of course was critical for me to be able to relate to the founders to, to have gone through what they're going through right i think my blackjack experience as well i actually look at it as entrepreneurial i think that mit blackjack team of which i acted as one of the leaders uh, really was my first startup and also my first investing fund it was both of those things right it was 
was a fund uh, that tried to generate return to investors. And by being a new one, it was a startup. So some of the lessons, you know, about building teams and culture and just executing while doing all the stuff that you have to do, like keep track of the numbers, for example, all of those lessons apply. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, you've already invested in a bunch of these companies, but the fact that you wanted to take more of an operational role and be involved with the company is really admiring. We don't see that um, happening often in these days. I guess that also makes sense because um, after about 100, I guess, angel investments, you became the MD for Techstars Boston to be even more involved with early stage companies as they try to find product market fit. Um, what are some of your highlights from that Techstars era of your life? It was very neat. You know, I ran the program in Boston for three years, from 14 to 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, did four classes of um, about 12 companies each. So there were almost 50 companies altogether. And, uh, you know, it was a great program already. I didn't create it, but I think I, I built it up a little bit further. We had a lot of wonderful mentors. We had uh, founders from the Boston area, but also founders from other parts of the world who came to Boston to do this program. And most of them ended up raising significant money afterwards, and, and most of them are still doing well. And what was the trigger where you decided that you don't want to run an accelerator, but rather become a venture capitalist? I mean, did you believe that becoming a venture capitalist would be would have more impact on companies and would be more lucrative for you? Well, I would say the textiles role actually was very, very impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily looking for more impact on companies. I actually, it was a little bit of my own ambition. I wanted to create something from scratch. And I wanted a mission-driven venture organization that uh, I fully resonated. I actually love the Techstars mission of like building out these ecosystems in different places and helping founders. I, I love that stuff. But the mission for my fund now is actually like my primary one, right? We only invest in immigrants mm-hmm. and um, I am an immigrant. I consider other immigrants to be my people, you know, my nation in a sense. And so um, being able to build that up from the beginning uh, in a way that maybe will be a little bit more scalable as well. I mean, after all, in Techstars, I was running... A great program in one city, but I wasn't running all of Techstars, right? So the part that I was running didn't really scale up. It sort of, it stayed at the same level year after year. I mean, you could have better and better companies, I suppose. You can help them in stronger and stronger ways. You can have better mentors. Uh, but it's, it's incremental improvement. Uh, you know, I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial in the venture space. I mean, plus it was just my age, but time in my life, I felt like I was approaching 50. And if I was going to try something very hard and very large, this was the time to do it. Like if I think if I was 10 or 15 years older, I would have stuck with Techstars for the rest of my life because it was a very comfortable job. And I think I, I did it reasonably well. But, uh, you know, I had the ambition to build a venture fund. I don't want to build any other kind of company, right? The, what I've done all my life is invest. So that's what I know how to do. And uh, it's actually worked really well with this mission of of immigrants, because it turns out that by investing in immigrants, you can actually have superior venture returns, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So One Way Ventures is a fund for immigrants by immigrants. At one point, did you decide that you're going to eventually raise a fund for immigrants by immigrants? Um, Did that happen while you were at Techstars, or were you thinking of that even way before that? Well, I think I've made the decision to do one more program at Techstars and to move on and try to do something on my own. But I still had another program to run. And I think like while in the beginning of that program, in the beginning of 2014, I was exploring different ideas. And, and actually one of our mentors, and now an investor in one way, just uh, saw how excited I was around the topics of immigration and suggested that why don't I go <laughs> focus on building a fund just for immigrants. And at the time, uh, I'm living in 
Boston and uh, we have a significant international airport here, right? And when Donald Trump was first elected president of the United States and was inaugurated in January of that year, one of the first things she did was suddenly stop travel from by incoming people from a number of different countries. And the result was sort of random. I mean, we had one of the people coming into my textiles program was Canadian, but he was born in Syria. And, you know, he grew up in Canada, he was Canadian, right? But because he was born in Syria, they stopped him at the border and he couldn't come in. And so I got very angry, very upset about this. So I found myself like at the airport with signs, you know, jumping up and down and yelling, which is, you know, not something I've done since I've been in college, right? So it was a very passionate area. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, people observed it and, and, and hinted to me that it's a good idea. And I, I loved the idea and uh, I sort of gelled. And then I ended up finishing the program in May of 2017. And by June or July, I started raising the fund. Mm -hmm. I mean, the U.S. economy is filled by immigrants, both like on the top of the pyramid, like yourself, and then obviously, unfortunately, on the bottom of the pyramid as well. And I'm sure the current policies um, by this administration is affecting that really bad. But I know that you have a really strict policy that you only invest into founders who became immigrants. So they have to make the bold move of moving to the US to become successful there, start a company. And then you wouldn't invest into a company that starts, say, in Romania, and they're ambitious to make the US move, right? I mean, you wouldn't invest before they make the move. Yeah, I mean, right now, we're not doing that. We're focused specifically on immigrants. And I'll tell you why. I mean, I want to, I mean, some of those companies would be great investments, of course, right? And the evaluations tend to go up when they relocate headquarters to the US. Yeah. Uh, or to another place where they need to be. It's usually the US, but we actually, I should back up and say this fund is not actually US centric. It happens to be focused on the US because that's where the partners live right now. And we, we are too small to cover the whole world. But long term, as we succeed and raise larger funds, we intend to have partners on the ground in many places that accept immigrants, such as Berlin or, or Tel Aviv or, or many others, right? London, perhaps Istanbul one day. There are certainly some immigrants there. Yeah, so that it's going to be a global thing. And I'm sorry, what was the question again? My question is like, so you are willing to invest before they make the move? Like oh, right, 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 sorry. Right, before. No. So we're not going to invest before they move to the US or once we start investing in other places before they move to that place. And the reason is that while there may be great companies, our thesis has to do with the valuation advantage of investing in an immigrant. Someone who's actually made that move, who made the one-way journey and committed to it ahead of success, ahead of raising around, and then found their way to success, they've gone through a little bit more than an average founder who on the surface has the same credentials and the same metrics, mm -hmm. right? And this extra toughness, extra selection, right, of that founder is not reflected in the valuation that we are paying as an investor coming in. So they're more likely to build unicorns, right? The majority of unicorns have immigrant founders, right? Mm -hmm. But only a quarter of the institutional VC rounds in America have immigrant founders. Yeah. And so we feel like if we were to invest in people before they move, they haven't been naturally selected, right? As these special people who've moved and survived and made it. Because it's, it's hard to move, right? Yeah. It's hard to have a new culture, new language, not have a network, not have connections. To then emerge from that, to be a, a fundable, you know, VC level founder that's, that's compelling relative to all the others is very difficult. So we don't want to bypass that pre-selection and lose that edge that we have over other funds. Mm -hmm. And uh, plus, every once in a while, you know, we can make some exceptions when we really know the founder extremely well or whatever. But, uh, you know, if we find sometimes when we when we do it on the edge, the people don't necessarily move immediately. Yeah. They might say that, oh, we want to raise a larger round to move. In general, if our money helped facilitate the move, then it would make the move easier. And then that immigration status itself would be less of a viable selection criteria for a venture investor. True, true. Like our fund, uh, we bet on the 
talent arbitrage, like employing talent in Turkey, but going um, get, having your revenue from the US, for example. And when you split the portfolio into two, there are these entrepreneurs who are either immigrants and then there are these entrepreneurs who are going to become immigrants. The ones who are immigrants, um, let's say from Turkey, they have made the move. Um, they have established connections in the US. They start a company there, but they employ people back in Turkey because it's easier to retain talent, attract talent, much more cost effective, etc. Um, and then there are these companies that we enable them to make the US move. Those companies we enter at a much cheaper terms, obviously, because of the risk premium that you've mentioned. And then we also enter into the ones that are already in the US. But of course, those are much more expensive because of the natural selection that happened uh, beforehand and the whole experience yeah. that comes with it. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And one day we might have like a, another branch of the fund that does invest in people who might become immigrants just to create more deal flow. But I think more likely we're going to just be investing in funds like yours mm-hmm. that, that do this on the ground in various countries. We've made two other fund of fund investments already and we're really too small to do that. But as we raise larger funds, I can imagine us you know, either building it ourselves or more likely investing in others who nurture these people who might become immigrants to help us have, have deal flow for one way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But the core one we find is going to back founders who are themselves immigrants. They've already moved. They've gone through the hard stuff and they identify themselves that way. They think of themselves first and foremost as, you know, essentially a person without a full home, right? They're not Mm -hmm. ever entirely going to belong in the country that they landed in. Maybe their children will, but they're not fully going to belong there. And they're never going to belong back home if they were to go back home. They'll never be fully accepted there and they won't feel right there. They are a different tribe. They're a different breed of people. The one that I belong to, right? And that's the one that we're going to back in one way. True, true. Um, the common theme that we see in these diaspora entrepreneurs, which is what we call them, most of them are immigrant entrepreneurs, although they start in the US, they do employ people back at home. So our portfolio of companies from Ukraine, Romania, Turkey, doesn't matter. They all have some sort of mostly software and technology operations back at their home country. Do you see that happening in your portfolio as well? Um, do your founders also have multiple office structures where they employ people at a different country, potentially for um, either cost reasons or talent reasons. Yeah, that's one of the many advantages over native-born entrepreneurs. An American entrepreneur building a company in America is not well advised to try to open a development office in Turkey. It's not going to work very mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. For many reasons, they need to have a local CTO, co-founder level person who hires talent locally and keeps it local. Whereas the immigrant founders can actually get away with having their engineering in the country that they come from most of the time. So I would say at least three quarters, if not 80% of our portfolio companies have development offices offshore in the country that one of the founders is from. And that person travels back and forth and really understands it and can figure out how to make those people remotely actually feel like part of the team, get stock options, right? Not feel like an outsourced shop, but really be core developers. Um, And it's not always only development. Sometimes it gets into other aspects of the business as well. Uh, but it is a huge advantage that immigrant founders have over everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, that's one way to um, democratize access to capital, access to know-how by actually employing people elsewhere, letting that ecosystem thrive and have a new generation of entrepreneurs come out from that one technology backend office in Romania, for example. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, are there any other funds like yourselves that only invest into immigrants um, in the U.S. or anywhere else? So there's one other fund in the U.S. that we like a lot. It's called Unshackled. We're actually an LP out of one way into Unshackled. It's a smaller fund. Um, they uh, on the West Coast, and they do very, very early stage pre-pre-seed, sort of first money and often into single founders. They, talk, they, they go around universities and then actually 
recruit uh, people who are just finishing up school and um, get in very early at very good prices. And we found ourselves a number of times looking at follow-on. Some of actually some of our strong companies in our portfolio were first uh, unshackled investments, and then we followed on in the later round. Uh, because they do have a very similar thesis. I would say because they come in so early, they also do a little bit more in terms of actual support. Like they will support the visa obtaining work. They have like a full immigration lawyer as a partner in the fund and they, they provide quite a bit of services. Sometimes they even employ the founders in their own entity in order to facilitate the visas. Mm-hmm. So uh, great fund, Unshackled Ventures. But there are a lot of funds in the US that focus on underrepresented founders and immigrants are just like a cluster of that, of a bigger group of underrepresented founders. Why do you think no other fund is focused on immigrants, given that big success stories come out of them? I mean, there were none. And then, you know, then Unshackled raised some money and then we raised some money. I think there will be others. I think the degree to which we, yeah, as we demonstrate success, we expect to have more competition. I mean, of course, we have competition anyway, because every fund in America is perfectly happy investing in immigrants. It's just that when you focus on that, you occupy a different uh, mindshare, a different niche. You get stronger deal flow, right? Because people just know that exact focus. And mm-hmm. and you can create a pretty strong uh, relationships among the portfolio founders, because they all have this thing in common, right? That they're immigrants themselves, and they all kind of support and believe in the mission of the fund. So it helps us get into rounds when the round is full. And it helps us motivate our founders to help each other. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. But I do fully expect more funds to be founded that only back immigrants. It's clearly a very, very effective thesis. Or maybe there'll be a fund that has some other focus, right? A vertical focus among immigrants only. You can be as narrow as you want. And I think as more of these funds become active and as our checks get larger, over time, that's going to drive up the valuation of immigrant founders in the U.S. at least to the point where there won't be an automatic arbitrage advantage to merely by investing in immigrants, mm-hmm. which is fine, right? But that's going to make the world a better place. It'll also help recognize more broadly the fact that immigrant founders tend to bring success because bringing success means also developing the economy and creating jobs. And so on a more global level, I think we can influence the conversations that people are having about whether immigrants are good or bad for any country, right? The more successful we are, the more well-known we become, right? The better argument is going to be for people to uh, convince others that uh, it's worth investing a little bit in helping immigrants move to your country because it's going to actually create more value, right? If a big successful fund got there by only investing in immigrants, that draws attention to the fact that immigrants tend to create big, effective companies. I think the science is there that um, having more immigrants actually make you more successful. I mean, it's there for the past centuries, I believe. What's interesting is there are only a couple of funds like yourself and Unshackled that invest into immigrants. But if you speak to funds in Europe or Russia or even Southeast Asia, go and speak with a Vietnamese fund, they have some portion of their portfolio, which they call diaspora founders. Founders mostly starting in the U.S., but they're Vietnamese. Um, So I know a lot of funds that have a mandate to invest into immigrants. But what's funny is they're not located in the U.S., so they're located in Hungary or Russia or Turkey, but they deploy some portion of their capital to these diaspora quote-unquote, entrepreneurs. But, I mean, we talked about the advantages of becoming an immigrant, uh, being an immigrant. Of course, you're more resilient. um, You can have your technology office back at home. You're culturally more diverse. And obviously, that adds to character. What are some of the disadvantages of these immigrant entrepreneurs? Do they have cultural issues in the U.S.? Do they have fundraising issues? Is it tougher for them to build a team in the U.S.? Absolutely. They do have cultural issues, fundraising issues. The biggest one is just not having a big network, right? Not, Not having a lot of people who could sort of vouch for you. Uh, but yeah, not understanding the culture could be a big disadvantage. Just having less money, right, mm-hmm. to begin with. It's harder, but that also makes it an advantage because if you can overcome more difficulties, then the next set of difficulties becomes more surmountable because every time you try to disrupt an existing industry, 
you're basically entering a culture you don't understand mm -hmm. and trying to win without understanding even what the rules are or how people play, right? That's really what happens when you try to disrupt a, a very old successful industry. Uh, so an immigrant has already done that once. They've already entered the culture not understanding how things work and they've to some degree already succeeded. So it's almost like they had a startup behind them. But I wanted to comment also on your point about the funds in each of these countries that invest in a diaspora founders. And I, you know, I know and like some of those funds, but I would point out that generally speaking, their results tend to reflect the strength of the ecosystem that they're in. I don't think as funds, they tend to perform as well as the funds in the U.S. generally have performed simply because you have to be there on the ground. You have to be near where the, where the team actually, where the CEO actually is in order to A, make impact, but B, also to get the best deal flow. Like I would imagine you know, if I'm here in Boston and there's a great Turkish founder that's looking at raising a round from my fund or from your fund who is in Turkey, they might have been very happy to get funding from your fund when they were there. But now that they're here, I suspect they're going to prefer an American fund. And I think the person here is going to just have more visibility into the company and understand it. And so uh, often the, the funds that are investing in the U.S. Uh, that are based in other countries, they're getting pretty strong adverse selection. They basically, the founders have first tried to raise money in the U.S. And when they fail, then they go back to them. And so it's like the money of last resort, which is not really a good strategy, right, to have outsized successful venture returns. I really believe venture investing is for now, like maybe one day the teleconferencing will be amazing and you can do it all online. But today it's still very much a face-to-face. -face. You have to spend time with the people on the ground. And so I think it is better to be located uh, right where you invest. Yeah, that's why also it's unfortunate that a lot of these funds, including ourselves, as we invest into diaspora entrepreneurs or more immigrant entrepreneurs in the U.S., we tend to not lead rounds and get a market indication from the U.S. that the round is put together and then try to chip into that small round. Uh, which is bad because, first of all, you're, of course, sidelining the entrepreneur, keeping them in touch, but not building that conviction to lead the round because of the fact that you're not proximate from a geographic perspective. And then it's also bad because it's not impactful. It's not mission-driven. Uh, for it to be more mission-driven, you should be able to lead that round, um, build that conviction so that it makes a difference for that immigrant entrepreneurs. So my question is, do you actually lead rounds? Because as a mission-driven fund, that would, I mean, for sure scale the mission that you're going towards. We, we lead rounds and we follow a lot as well. We do both. We invest uh, mostly in the institutional seed stage, which here is typically like a two or $3 million round. And we sometimes lead that with a half a million dollar check. Mm -hmm. uh, in our next fund, will increase the check size and lead almost all the time at that stage. Right now, we, we lead maybe half the time, I would say. In a, when we first raised the fund three years ago, we were leading maybe a third or a quarter of the time. Because it's difficult to lead a large round with a smaller check. You, know, you have to convince bigger investors to follow you, right? Yeah. Um, it's a tricky thing to do, but we have done it. Uh, at first, we did it occasionally. And more recently, towards the end of our fund one cycle, we were doing it most of the time, I would say. So all in all, it's about half. We also invest some in a Series A, and we, we don't lead those. Those rounds are just too large. And so do we add some value? We add a little bit of value. We, we, we love to add value when we can. But we are also uh, very graciously accepting access the rounds where our value add is minimal because the founders believe in our mission. They're helping us. You're thinking about how we're helping them, but they're helping us just as much, right? They believe in what we're trying to do. And realize also that like we raised our fund from 82 individuals, most of whom are immigrant entrepreneurs who sold their companies. Mm -hmm. So like we are, it's not just the, it's not mm -hmm. just the management, right? It's the investors as well. The whole thing is for immigrants by immigrants. And so yeah, sometimes uh, we participate just because the founder wants to include us because they love us. Um, other times uh, we help more or sometimes, you know, we always try to help. How much we help varies tremendously. 
And uh, yeah, of course, when we lead, we, we tend to get more involved and, and make a bigger impact and spend more time with the company. And we only lead locally. We do sometimes invest in places where we don't have any partners uh, when we are following other investors who we respect. But it has to be like very successful, well-known investors. We're not typically going to follow uh, strategics or family offices or anyone other than like other than VCs that have a demonstrated track record and who are willing to share their internal diligence work with us so we don't have to do our own. That's really when we follow. But we lead in the cities. Like we have a partner in the West Coast now, so we're starting to lead more there. Uh, we have um, a partner in Montreal, a venture partner, and then we have uh, the two of us here in Boston and we cover Boston and New York. That's where we lead. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that the mission resonates with the founders so that they feel even more connected and can have more empathy towards their investor. Um, look at you from a different eyes than their, all these other investors. And you said all of your, uh, most of your investors are immigrant themselves. You're an immigrant. A lot of the great companies built in the U.S. were built by immigrants. And I think that's because there's a huge talent network effect around the U.S. Uh, smart people come to the U.S. and that makes even more smarter people to also try and come to the U.S. as well. Do you think U.S. is losing that um, network effect? Are there any other countries that are competing for talent? There's always countries competing for talent. And I think uh, the U.S. is still ahead in a lot of ways. I think the U.S. uh, probably did a little bit of a search in the last couple of years. There have been some people who have chosen to to go to other places. I think Canada uh, has been a huge beneficiary of uh, the fact Mm -hmm. that the U.S. is making it harder for people to come in. But I would say it's a pretty incremental difference, right? Like it's the U.S. has such a big advantage that I think it's going to be a while before it loses it. And I'm certain that the immigration policies here are going to turn around and uh, we're going to be more welcome. Yeah, uh, I hope that happens. So I don't expect it to happen, but I do expect other places to get stronger and to get better for building companies and maybe some particular types of companies. But you can certainly build a great company anywhere. It's just, uh, it's easier to do in a place like like Silicon Valley, where there's just so much concentration of capital and talent. Yeah, definitely. Um, now I want to move on to three quick fire questions uh, before we end up. My first question is, let's say you're not allowed to work for a year and you can live anywhere you want. Uh, which city would that be? Istanbul. I love Istanbul. Why? Really? You do? When was the last time you were here? Mm, last year. Well, actually, a few weeks ago for a connection, but not counting that last year. <laughs> yeah. Why well, I love it. I think it's large and cosmopolitan and diverse and uh, vibrant and uh, kind of in the middle of things. Uh, and the climate's good mm-hmm. and the food's great. So I love that whole region, the Mediterranean region, uh, and the Black Sea region. Mm-hmm. But the largest city in the region and the most exciting one for me is Istanbul. Oh, that's great to hear. I hope that happens someday. Second question is, if you had to rename One Way Ventures, which I really like the name, by the way, what would that be? Uh, we've thought of calling it the Immigrant Nation mm-hmm. or something else uh, connoting the unity of immigrants. Yeah. Nice. By the way, I think Israel uh, is more of an immigrant nation than a startup nation. A lot of the good startups that come out of Israel have a huge foothold in the U.S. and the founders relocate. So that's also a good connotation. And a lot of the ones that even are in Israel are already immigrants from uh, places like Russia and Ukraine and others. <laughs> True. So that's right. Yeah, like half of my family lives in Israel. Like So, yeah. There you go. Um if you had to donate your whole net worth into one private company, which company would that be? Oh, gosh. I hesitate to answer that one. I struggle with donate to a company. To me, the essence of a company is to provide goods and services in exchange for money. <laughs> uh, you know, donations are, are for charities. They're for nonprofits. You know, we have a foundation called the One Way Foundation, which distributes money to operating charities at the end of every year. Yeah. 
And um, all of the partners in one, we pledge some of their carry in the fund to the foundation. And over time, we're going to probably increase that percentage. So we do do some charitable work around immigration, around some helping the immigrants who actually need help, not the ones we're investing in, but the ones who really need the helping hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where not only would, that's where I am donating uh, my money. And after I die, the bulk of my my money is going to go there. Um, but I don't think I could answer the question as to which private for-profit company I would just give money to. I just don't see why I would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me twist the question. Which private company you think has the most impact towards the mission um, that you're going for? Interesting. Well, so our mission, uh, well, I mean, One Way Ventures, right? That's the private company that has the impact because, <laughs> because yeah. our mission is to back these immigrant founders and make it clear that they tend to generate success. We don't invest in, in companies because of their emissions, right? It's not like we don't specifically invest in companies that, that tackle immigration. We do have two companies in our portfolio that have something to do with immigration. One is called Jabatical and one is called LegalPad. Um, but uh, that's not necessarily a focus, right, of the fund. Uh, most of our companies, uh, they have missions that have absolutely nothing to do with the fact that they're immigrants. It's one way ventures. That's the company. Yeah. By the way, I met with Caroli last year. We shot a really good episode with her as well. A great company. So congrats on that. Thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast and let's be in touch next time you come to Istanbul. Sounds good. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Semyon's personal journey is very inspiring, and it's great to see more mission-driven VC funds form to leverage the underserved yet disproportionately successful class of immigrant entrepreneurs. This is not only a trend in the US but everywhere in the world with funds focused on investing in the region's diaspora. Diaspora entrepreneurs connect more mature tech ecosystems with their hometown, create value-added employment opportunities that will hopefully give rise to a new class of local entrepreneurs from that region. This is going to be it for today. See you in the next episode. To stay in the loop, go to our website, getcc.com, or follow us at getcc on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.